Welcome to the Variety Hour, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Listening to you talk that stuff. Talk Memphis, oh yeah. Welcome to Talk Money. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And good morning and welcome to today's program. I'm Jim Shoemaker. So you want to pay less tax in 2019. Who doesn't? That's kind of one of our topics today. The good news is there are ways to reduce the amount of money that you send to the IRS and do it legally, believe it or not. In fact, there are plenty of steps you can take to cut your federal tax bills and your state tax bills. The more you know, the more you might be able to reduce the taxes you owe. A couple of ideas that I've got that you'll find to be interesting, and we'll talk more about them in a minute, is contribute as much as you can to retirement accounts. Take advantage of tax-lost harvesting with your investment portfolio and invest in an HSA if you're eligible. Contribute to a qualified charity. Well, that, that's a few, but my guests today, Tommy Armstrong and Scott Jordan, are here to help with some very good ideas for tax planning for now, 2019, and 2020. By the way, the peak of the baby boomers, believe it or not, was in 1960, and people born then will reach a typical retirement age of 65 by 2025. And how many people do you think that we're talking about? Approximately 10,000 baby boomers retire every day. Journalist Bernard Crooks has written an article for Forbes magazine recently called The Five Phases of retirement, and I've asked Justin Wright to discuss the article and bring his thoughts to the table about retirement planning. Justin will help us determine what phase you are in currently and what's up next. You want to stay with us. By the way, from our Did You Know files, last week we were talking about this election year and the market and how the market's going to react to the elections. Well, we did some additional research to find something that I think you'll find to be interesting. Did you know that 17 of the last presidential election years have produced a positive total return of the S&P 500? The only down election years since 1944 were in 2000 and 2008. Of course, I've always got to say, just remember, past performance is no indication of future performance. But, you know, we always talk about something about, you know, this idea of predictions and, and how to manage forecast. And, you know, we do that from year to year. Well, it is about elections and someone predicting a market crash. Well, I know we do that. We all want to be informed. But let me tell you, I want you to be cautious. A year ago, on December the 17th, Barron's published the year-end 2019 forecast for the yield curve on the 10-year Treasury note. Made They had 10 Wall Street strategists to make the prediction. All 10 predicted that the yield would increase by the end of the year, 1231, to an actual number of 2.68. And with five of the 10-year forecasting that it would be 3.2% by the end of this year. Well, guess what? The yield on the 10-year Treasury note closed last Friday, December the 13th, at 1.82%. Forecast? Yep. Not, they're not always right. I just want to remind you of that. And finally, I know our United States economy is estimated to reach 
$21.4 trillion this year. But just how big is our national debt? The Treasury Department recently released that the government paid $376 billion of interest on our nation's outstanding debt this fiscal year, ending 2019. Well, guess what? That's a billion dollars a day. Our national debt is $23.1 trillion as of December the 12th. If the United States was to pay down the national debt by $1 billion, no, let me back that up, $1 million a minute, that's $1.44 billion a day, it would still take us about 44 years to extinguish a $23.1 trillion debt. Now, last time I calculated that, that's a lot of money. A lot of money. Hey, if you just tuned in, of course, this is Talk Money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Send us your questions to Talk Money at shoemakerfinancial.com. To find today's program on podcast or past programs, go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Coming up, Tommy Armstrong, Scott Jordan, tax tips for now and 2020. And Justin Wright, the five phases of retirement. You're listening to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and this is Talk Money. Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Jim Shoemaker, Tommy Armstrong, Scott Jordan, and Justin Wright are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, I said earlier, who would not like to pay less taxes? Well, guess what? That's what I want to talk about today. And I have two very sophisticated and smart guests. Tommy Armstrong, Scott Jordan is in the program with me in the studio. And uh, thanks, guys. Welcome to the program. Good morning, Jim. Thanks for letting me be on the program. Great to be here, Jim. All right, guys, this is so important because so many people think about tax strategies at this time of the year, when in reality, we probably should have been thinking about this maybe six, seven, eight, nine months ago. So, Tommy, is there anything, if, we, if we're this late, what should we be doing now for 2019's taxes, not in planning for 2020 yet, but 2019? Well, you're absolutely right, Jim. We'd like, we would like for tax strategies to be engaged throughout the year, but even at this late date, you have several uh, several opportunities to still shave a few dollars off that 2019 uh, tax liability. First and foremost is to max out your uh, tax savings at work or your IRAs that you have outside of work. Uh, the retirees who have qualified charitable distributions, it's getting late, but we could still work with that. Uh, tax loss harvesting, obviously, is a topic that I uh, uh, advocate for all throughout the year, but that's still uh, that's still available to your taxable uh, investment accounts. Uh, and then certainly, even at a late time of the year or any other time of the year, we're in a great opportunity for multi-year tax planning because right now we think we've got stability of the current tax code through 2025. So 19 is still in play with some items that are still doable. And then obviously we want tax planning done throughout the year, if possible, looking ahead to some stability through the end of the current tax code. That makes a lot of sense. So you're thinking about just doing some planning now 
thinking through the process, do multi-year planning. But again, I guess, you know, Scott, when we talk about today, 2019, Tommy covers, you know, the idea behind charitable giving, tax loss harvesting. How about giving me some insight into this whole thing about tax-deferred accounts? What can I do with my 401k plan? Can I add money to that or my IRA or anything like that? Is there additional dollars I can put in as far as, you know, my qualified money? Yeah, absolutely. So for 19, you know, just the regular tax deferrals, the limit in the 401ks can go up to $19,000. And for those individuals who are over 50 years of age, they can add an additional $6,000 for a total of 25. And those actually go up for 2020. So they're going to each increase by $500. So that'll be 19.5 and 20. Uh, 195 for deferrals and then 6500 for the catch-up contribution. So for those over 50, definitely taking advantage of that additional catch-up opportunity is great. That's available for regular IRAs as well. The limits are a little lower. You know, you can put up to $6,000 in an IRA and then with a $1,000 catch-up contribution. So in other words, you're saying I have the opportunity. Why would I do that? I mean, I mean, that's spending money putting money into something that I uh, can't get it for a while. I mean, that's not a savings account. Why would I do it now? Well, it defers your income taxes. So, you know, depending on your, your tax bracket and where you're hitting in that marginal income tax bracket, that can save you or defer a lot of money in taxes a day. Now, you eventually have to pay taxes when you pull the money out, but you can have a little better control with the timing of when you receive that taxable income and also allows you to build money for that long-term retirement savings in a tax-favorable manner. If you just tuned in, my guest today is Tommy Armstrong and Scott Jordan. We're talking about year-end tax strategies for 2019. I'll ask him a few minutes later about something about 2020. What should we be thinking about in preparation for 2020? What should we be doing for the whole year? But right now, we're focused on things that you could do between today and the end of the year that would still save you money. And I think everybody listening would like to not pay as much taxes as you can. And so what can you do? Tommy, you mentioned earlier tax loss harvesting in your portfolio. What do you mean by that? Okay, well, when when you have a, uh, you know, it's it's not an IRA. It's a it's a ta- what we call a taxable account where transactions inside the account will be taxed on a current basis. Uh, that taxable account needs to be looked at on an ongoing basis for what the uh, what the industry calls tax loss harvesting, or what I prefer on my desk, capital gains management. If you have certain certain investment holdings that are up or down, depending on what the what the uh, uh, market is doing, it gives you an opportunity to look at Look at the ones that maybe have losses in them and go ahead and move those losses off the books and offset some gains elsewhere, again, as a, ma- as a way to help manage your overall exposure in your portfolio, uh, keep the taxes on your gains from uh, <clears throat> outrunning you know, outrunning what we want them to, and then redeploying that money into a better allocation to to give you uh, a a better allocation of what you're trying to achieve with the with uh, the the profile of the account. Okay, so you're talking about going into the account, having someone to look at it with you. Or, I mean, from our standpoint, we always look at it with the client to try to decide if there are gains. Should you do this? Should you not do this? What's the benefit of not benefit? And making sure that it's moving forward and getting the results the client's trying to get. Right. Obviously, you always look at the account and the purpose of the account and how it fits with the client's overall uh 
age stage and goals, if you will. And then if there are opportunities to manage or mitigate uh capital gains taxes and defer those down the road, then that's how you can work with tax deferral inside a taxable account uh, to, to again, make sure, it meet, make sure it's meeting your goals and doing what you want it to do. The investment strategy comes first, tax planning comes second, but it is a way to shave a few dollars off that current tax liability. And again, every dollar counts. Absolutely. All right. Very good. Guys, let me ask you this. Both of you are certified financial planners. Tommy, you're a CPA. Now, the point is, I know we're not trying to say that we're practicing uh, accounting here. We tell everybody when it gets down, we're just talking about some tax thoughts that any planner, like what we do on a daily basis, this is what we should be talking with our clients. But go to your tax preparer to actually put this all together when it comes to do it. We're just talking about it's not the year's not over. So make sure that you're thinking through this process. And that's what we're trying to do is get our people listening to know that there's some things they could do. Well, what we're, you know, what we're talking about today starts at the taxpayer level. Each one of us is a taxpayer and we should be actively engaged in doing everything we can to pay as few taxes lawfully as possible. That, that's been affirmed by the Supreme Court long, long time ago. We're under no obligation to pay money into the government just for the fun of it. Uh, certainly as, uh, as a preparer uh, for as a, as a preparer, I assist other taxpayers with their taxes, and then as planners, we have to understand the overall picture. Uh, the CFP is required to understand everything that's going on uh, on the on the client that they are working with, including taxes, which unfortunately are pervasive throughout all other phases of a client's financial profile. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense there. You know, you you think about it. I'm not sure that I want the federal government. I just read you a statistic earlier. Federal government's heavily in debt. I don't know if I want my money, but, but I'm not so sure. They don't. They don't. They don't know what they're doing with our money, and I am under no obligation to let them have it. Yeah, I don't think so. Last time I checked, they're not doing well. I'm not going to say. I'm not going to be critical here. But you know what? They paid. They're not. They're not doing what I think they should be doing. Sometimes with the money, a lot of wasted money. So I'm going to keep as much as I can for my family. And not paying it, I don't particularly care about what they do with it. All right, that's enough of that, enough of pontificating on that subject. But let me ask you this, Scott. We do a lot of this, and I think it's a powerful statement for a lot of people. They take an appreciated security and make a charitable gift, and then also they can do some things with their money that's maybe in an IRA. If they happen to be over 70 and a half, they're RMD. Help me with those two ideas behind allowing them to use a, an appreciated security or appreciated property and an investment and make a charitable gift. Why is that advantageous to them? Yeah, we'll, we'll start with that one. And I think this is an underutilized technique. I mean, for people who are planning to give away money anyway, you know, usually they have some assets. And if we're in a taxable account, we have some significant gains in the asset, in the um, account. One of the techniques that you can use is instead of gifting cash to your charitable organization is to gift those appreciated securities or those appreciated assets. And what that does for you is not only do you still get the charitable deduction through itemizing on your Schedule A, but you're also able to avoid those capital gains because if you give those securities or those appreciated assets directly to the charity, you're not selling those assets. So you're giving assets away, still allowed to take the deduction, 
but uh, but avoid those capital gains that you would have to get if you sold those assets and then gave them away. So it's important that the assets get gifted directly to the charity. We do this all the time. Most large charitable organizations have brokerage accounts set up to receive these types of gifts. Uh, you know, it usually goes straight from one broker dealer to the other. You just uh, do paperwork and just transfer the assets directly to the charity, thereby avoiding the capital gains. So it's kind of a, a double a double benefit, if you will. You get the charitable deduction and you avoid the capital gains. You know, we have a particular person that we work with quite a bit that has done this with a competitive football team here. Excuse me, I shouldn't have said football team, even though that's what they're doing it for. It's a competitive school. I guess I could say that. And they do that on a regular basis. That's, That's their way of making their contribution to that university. They do it, um, by uh, making using their capital gains. What about required minimum distributions, Scott? Now, this is another one, and I think this has really come into play a lot more with the uh, you know, the current tax laws with the standard deduction being doubled. A lot less people are able to itemize and get those. Um, and, and with the standard deduction, now you have to have a lot more deductions to be beneficial to itemize. So one of the techniques that you can use, especially for your required minimum distributions, and that's money that once you get 70 and a half, you have to start pulling out of your IRA. So if you are over the age of 70 and a half, you're pulling money out of your IRA, and you're also giving money away to charity. One thing you, you can do is what's called a qualified charitable distribution, and that's just where you take money directly from your IRA and send it to a qualifying charity, and that's most 501c3s. Um, and thereby, you know, instead of taking that income on to your, you know, taking that distribution from the IRA where it hits your adjusted gross income, by doing this method, the money never hits your adjusted gross income. So you're able to get the charitable deduction, in a sense, without having to itemize. Uh, and now, again, that has to go directly from the IRA to the charity. Uh, most most broker-dealers are familiar with the process, but I think this is the one of the things that, again, with the doubling of the standard deduction, this is a way for people to still benefit from their charitable contributions if they're not able to get enough deductions to uh, outrun that standard deduction that's been doubled. All right, so we've talked about a couple of things. Make you know, maximize your tax-deferred accounts, all right? That that I understood that. No question about that. Your 401K, your SCP, your IRA, your simple IRA. You have the ability to add additional dollars to that here at the year end. You can catch up. If you've got extra money, you got a bonus coming, you know it's coming, you go ahead and maybe can do that. That saves you some taxes. Charitable contributions, qualified charitable distributions, excuse me, contributions where you're making it to a qualified charity. If you want to do that now, now is the time to do that. For 2019 taxes, Scott just mentioned doing it for from qualified charitable distributions for from your required minimum distributions. That's a great way of thinking about that. Then we talked about tax loss harvesting in your investment portfolio, capital gains, avoiding capital gains, appreciated securities. Tommy very graciously went through the whole idea of giving away money for an appreciated Security, and we talked about that using that for gifting and things like that. Guys, Tommy, let me help you there. We've got a few minutes left before we take the break. I want to know what you're thinking about as far as doing some strategic thinking for 2020. 
What would you What would you tell us to do there? All right, Jim. Thank you, <clears throat> thank you, thank you for asking me to comment on 2020. And I'm commenting right here out of all three of my roles: the the financial advisor, the compliance officer, and the and the uh, uh, tax guy. But what we want, what we have here, is what we think to be stability in tax code and taxable income rates from 20. 19 and 2020 through 2025 the tax act that was passed in 2017 those rates are slated to sunset or increase in 2026 if no further legislative action is taken and so what i want us to be what i what we are recommending from the planning desk as we look at the overall financial profile of our clients is how to take advantage of the lower rates through 2025, see if we can leverage those lower rates against rates that we think may be going up after 2025. And earlier, Jim noted that the 2025 was a date that the uh, largest pool of baby boomers would be reaching age 65. So as we plan to squeeze every dollar into our accumulation plan to get ready for that retirement that could last for 25, 35, 45 years, then multi-year tax planning under a consistent tax code lets us Take advantage of the opportunities that we have, and those opportunities are on the income side, which is why we talk about capital gains management, qualified charitable distributions, and shaving any dollar you can off your current tax code so that it can be reinvested for the future. All right, guys, this has been great. You got to, We're talking about tax planning. When we come back, I want to kind of get a real strong summary of what we're going to try to do, but more importantly, there are five phases of retirement. I want to get uh, this guy that I've got coming up. Is he's sitting in the studio already, ready to go? He's going to talk about this, Justin Wright. He's going to talk about his ideas of what he thinks this whole idea of the phases of retirement planning really are, and how he helps his clients put their process together to accomplish success in all those phases. Stay with us. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, as I said earlier, that we at Shoemaker Financial and Secured Financial, we don't provide specific tax and legal advice. But this information we've been sharing with you is not considered as such. That's what we're doing. We're just simply talking about planning and the idea behind that. If you've got some tax ideas, problems, or you've got a you know legal problem, consult your CPA, your attorney regarding specific tax or legal advice or your situation. But what we're trying to do is give you a heads up that this is the time of the year. It's down to the wire. If you're going to do some planning, you need to do it now for 2019, but lead into thinking about what you're going to do for 2020. We have a tendency to procrastinate. I I never have done that in, in my career. Definitely never did that in college. 
I um, I didn't know what the word procrastinate meant. I just said, no way am I ever going to procrastinate. You know, my <laughs> nose is getting longer and longer. You guys know that. That's a bad thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. But we do procrastinate. We do have a tendency to put tax planning off to the last minute. Scott, talk to us literally. We've kind of give us this summary 30,000-foot view, but challenge us on what we should be doing when it comes to 2019 and 2020. I think I think you said it all right there. Uh, you know, a lot of what what I see with people is tax planning is very reactionary. You know, it happens on you know April the fourteenth at midnight, right before the taxes are due, and by then it's too late to take advantage of a lot of the strategies that we're talking about. Whether that's maxing out the the, the retirement plan, whether that's tax loss harvesting, or or doing a qualified charitable distribution. Any of these things we talked about requires a little bit of planning ahead and thinking ahead to make sure you get it in in the tax year. Another, And Tommy kind of alluded to this. Another thing I would like to say around that subject is never let tax reduction you know, be it should never be the tail that wags the dog. You know, whether it's an investment strategy, financial plan you put together, nobody likes to pay taxes. Uh, and I don't think you should pay any more taxes than you're legally required to. But uh, some people, I think there's such a disdain for taxes that they can de- derail their strategies trying to save a dollar in taxes. And uh, we put a lot of study around that and ran a few regression analysis. And there is actually a direct correlation between income and income taxes paid. And it does work that it, way. It does. Yeah, it does. So, so yeah. you know, paying taxes is not necessarily a bad thing. It means you made money. Now, again, do the planning. Take advantage of all the legal opportunities out there to reduce that, those taxes. But it's it, there it is. You made money, you pay taxes. Well, That's the bottom line. I said this in the monologue. The reality is, do I want my tax dollars to go directly to pay the national debt? Remember I said to pay down the national debt by $1 million a minute? That's $1.44 billion a day. It would still take us 44 years to extinguish the $23.1 trillion of debt. Staggering. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess I want my little bit to go into it, but that's, I guess I'm paying for a many, 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 many second, a millisecond or whatever. Yep. That's a that's a that's amazing number for me. Well, thanks guys so much. I appreciate you talking about tax planning. We'll come back and talk some more about that before the show's over. But my guest now is Justin Wright. Justin had read an article by Forbes in Forbes magazine by Bernard Crooks and came to me and said, you know, this is interesting. And 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 I thought it was too. And we kind of discussed it and said, you know, I think Bernard's right on spot on when he talks about phases of retirement. So I asked Justin to come in and kind of discuss the article, but bring his thoughts to the table about retirement planning. Welcome to the program, Justin. Thanks for having me, Jim. You know, one of the biggest issues that I think people have when they think about retirement planning is, it's again, we've used that word procrastination, is we procrastinate. So, Justin, in your practice, help me understand, how do you encourage people, or what do you talk about when it comes to that thought of procrastinating? They're going to plan, but they're just not doing it yet. Well, I mean, that's just kind of human nature. We all want to procrastinate. We all want to avoid looking at the hard facts. But the reality is the longer you wait to look at retirement, to look at saving for the future, there's repercussions. It means you're going to have to save more and each month once you actually start saving. And then there could be mistakes along the way. Uh, You could get into debt. And if you're not looking at that along the way, then you can get in a hole that's really hard to dig out of in your 30s. Yeah, that's true. So let's talk about phases. Then the first phase being accumulation. Yeah. So help me with that. 
All right, so accumulation is really just the period of your life that starts the day you start working to the day you fully retire. And it's for most people, it's the majority of their life. It's most of their adulthood. So if I'm thinking in my adulthood, then I guess I, I know I need to be thinking about what I'm putting in my money. So help me get me into that. Don't give me go through that process. What am I thinking about? What should I be doing? I'm now 35 years old. Right. Absolutely. So it's essentially start saving for retirement as soon as possible. Uh, just like we're talking about procrastination, the longer you wait, the longer you delay, it means you're going to have to save more every month when you begin saving. And, you know, there's a variety of places you can save. Obviously, you should be putting money into your 401k or 403b, your company's retirement plan, whatever type of plan it is. Um, And you should at least be getting the match because very few people get a pension these days. And a match is essentially guaranteed free money from your company. Let me ask one of you guys, Scott, you just anybody, but does anybody have an idea, a ballpark of how much money? Let's say I'm 30 years old. Is there a ballpark of how much money out there that I should have when I'm 65? I mean, do we have it? Is it? I know it's a big pot of money, but is there a, is there a number that we can plan from? Well, I think it's different for different people. I mean, when you're, and it's kind of hard to pinpoint when you're 35 years old what you're going to need when you're 65, 75, 85, or 90. Now, we use when we're creating a financial plan, we'll use such numbers that come from industry averages and studies of around 70% of current income that we're looking to replace in retirement. And that's a good target to shoot for. But, you know, as you get closer to that actual date, you'll get a better idea of what that number should be. But getting moving in the right direction, you know, having that goal out there saying, hey, if we can get you to 70% of what you're currently making, adjusted for inflation, of course, uh, that's a good step in moving in the right direction. So that makes a lot of sense when you're talking about a 70% of the last 10 years, you yeah. might say. Yeah. But, you know, I guess if I'm, you know, talking with Justin again, if I'm 35, 40 years old, 30, 35, 40, I'm in that accumulation phase. And the thought process, Justin, is I've got to put a lot of money. Do I try to go ahead and just maximize my 401k or or do I try to buy the things I want, like the 60-inch TV I mean, I, I know what I know what I did. I mean, I was I said, okay, I'm going to save the money. I'm going to, I'm going to be very disciplined. But I know I didn't. You know, a lot of people, the TV is a big competition for retirement money. Right, absolutely. And I think it's important that you enjoy your life in your 30s and don't just save 100 percent of your money. If you're not living and just eating on ramen, you're not living. So it, it's important to have fun, but at the same time, don't disinherit yourself of retirement. You need to be saving the proper amount. And we like to see people, our clients save 15 to 20% of their income. So I know as a, as a planning firm, you're talking about setting aside, having a written financial plan, go through the process, know what you're doing. You said 10, 5, 10, 15% yeah. of that money, set it aside, being very sincere and disciplined is what you're talking right, about. Right. Absolutely. If you don't have a plan, I mean, if you're, it's very impossible to reach a far off destination if you don't have a goal in mind. And if you're just wandering around. And so if you don't have a written plan, it's very hard to reach your family's goals that are 30, 40 years in the future 
when you're just wandering around. That makes a lot of sense. So being being disciplined, even though the 60-inch TV is competition for the money going into the 401k. Absolutely. Of course, that's, you know, that, that I used that example. I've used it for years. Today, a 60-inch TV is that's nothing. nothing. It's like it's 500 bucks. <laughs> you know, that used to be a big deal, <laughs> you know. But today, eh, you know, let's go about it. When you have it, if it quits one day, you don't even think about getting it. What happened to the repairman for the 60-inch TV? <laughs> Not a you thing. You just put it out on the front yard and you go get another one. All right, when we come back, I want you to help me go through not only this accumulation, which we covered, and I thank you for that, but what's the next phases? I mean, there's some things that there's so much competition for retirement dollars. You do have to be disciplined. I appreciate, Justin, you saying get a plan, write it down. You don't want to just wander around. That's so critical. Doing that is so important. When we come back, we'll talk more about some of these phases of retirement. Believe it or not, we got literally 10,000 baby boomers retiring a day. A day. Have you done your retirement planning? Well, we've got to talk about that some more. Stay with me. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. If you have questions you'd like to have answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. It is often said that ideas are ahead of their time. This was certainly the case with those of Memphis businessman Clarence Saunders. The idea of a self-service grocery store complete with shopping carts, aisle displays, refrigerators, and multiple checkout stands is a concept we take for granted today. But this approach was revolutionary in 1916, when Saunders opened the first Piggly Wiggly store on Jefferson Street. Convinced that the traditional layout of grocery stores often led to their failure, Saunders patented a new model, which helped customers view all the available choices before deciding what to buy. What Saunders wanted in return was cash and payment rather than credit. This sound business model led to the rapid success of the Piggly Wiggly franchise which grew to over 2,500 stores nationwide during the Great Depression. Although Saunders himself had to declare bankruptcy in 1923 after selling his stake in Piggly Wiggly at a heavy loss of nearly $40 million and was forced to sell his unfinished Pink Palace mansion to the city of Memphis, his ideas not only changed the way America went to the supermarket, but also influenced how many other businesses organized their manufacturing and customer relations systems. In the inner corridors of the Pink Palace today, a life-size model of the first Piggly Wiggly store still pays tribute to the legacy of Saunders, a visionary who is truly before his time. This has been another Mid-South History Moment brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. The S&P is an unmanaged index of 500 large-cap stocks. Investors cannot invest in an index. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice. Shoemaker Financial and Security and Financial Services do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should always consult their tax or legal professionals regarding their own specific situation. And now, back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. I have in the studio with me Justin Wright and Scott Jordan and Tommy Armstrong. We're talking about... 
the idea behind retirement planning. And there's an article that was written in the Forbes magazine, in Forbes magazine, that's a mouthful, by Bernard Crooks. And it's called Five Phases of Retirement. And when Justin and I, Justin brought it to me, he said, hey, it's a great article. And I said, you know, it really is. Why don't you dive into that? We'll talk a little bit about that. But I wanted his insight as a practitioner where he's meeting with clients, working with people, going through this process. What does he see when it comes to working on the phases of retirement, using the article, obviously, as a springboard to help us get started. But the reality is, what do we see, and not as a journalist, but as a practitioner, day in and day out? And Justin, one of the things you've done extremely well telling us about accumulation, not procrastinating, being disciplined, having a plan, but we all get into this phase almost to where we're about to retire. And what are the things that we should be very sensitive to in the planning process that we've actually taken into consideration. So one of the big things is why, why are we saving? How long are we going to be retired for? You know, in decades past, it was common to retire at 65, live maybe to 70 to 75 and be on a pension. And the reality is now most people will be living probably till 95. And there's going to be a lot of healthcare costs associated with that. You just don't die suddenly. Well, that's what, exactly. You know, you talk about that. I mean, the reality is 90, 92. In fact, when I was talking to you about the program, you, you know, we mentioned that and we were just discussing that. And you made a comment that you wouldn't dare think about planning today when you're 30, 35, 40 years old, thinking about somebody not being around till 90, 95. Right. Yeah. I just assume everyone will be to 95 and there's a chance to live past that. Past that. We yeah. have people that we do have them. We have clients today that are much older than the 90, 95, which I'd have never thought thought about that. So planning, what are some of the things then that you look at with that 30, 35, 40-year-old, but you're moving to that pre-retirement? They're now into that point where they're five, 10 years from being retired. So the big thing is it's hard to know what retirement looks like when you're 35. It's hard to picture it. And when you get into 55 or maybe 10 years before retirement, whenever that might be for you, you're going to know more what you're wanting out of retirement lifestyle. And so you'll be able to better picture that. Maybe it's vacations or just spending time with the grandkids. What that is to you is going to be definitely different from your friend or your neighbor. But this is a great time to really nail that down and get it into your written plan. That makes a lot of sense. What about health care costs? I mean, the whole idea behind long-term care, that's a big issue. Well, yeah, absolutely. And right in your 50s is a great time to start looking at long-term care insurance. According to Genworth in 2019, the median cost of a private nursing home in Memphis per year was $91,250. And so, I mean, if you spend three years in a nursing home, even if you saved really well for retirement, that could derail the entire plan for your spouse. Because after you're gone, she is most likely going to live a while longer and with no money left. Yeah, that's, plans, a, that's plans, a real problem, right, especially absolutely. if you're sucking a lot of money out during the time that you may have some medical problems. I absolutely. Mean, I know I'm a cancer survivor at this point, and that was a big issue when I was first diagnosed. The whole idea behind reality of what would be the cost, you know, for my spouse, my wife, uh, Linda, at that point. And uh, those were things that, you know, fortunately, I had done some planning. But I have to say that at that moment of hearing that particular word, C word, cancer, it does run that mindset into thinking, have I covered all those thoughts? And you're saying in the pre-retirement phase, before you get told you have cancer, do the pre-retirement. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of people, 
in their 30s, 40s, and 50s are thinking uh, about their own mortality, but very rarely are they thinking about the costs associated with that mortality. That's a great point. And so making that a part of the planning process is, is, is a discipline. It's a, it's an important thing to have to do. I appreciate you bringing that to the table. Scott, one of the biggest issues that we see from a planning standpoint, and I, and I think it's important, people start the planning date. They, they go through all kinds of you know, emotions. I mean, we've watched it. We, they were, what am I going to do? We had someone in the office not too long ago, been retired now for three, four, five years. And you could tell he's, it's still an issue. It's still an emotional side of his life. His identity is different. His idea is different. His thought process is different. But the reality is he is retired. Tell me a little bit about some of that early phases of retirement that we see. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, not even thinking of the finances, going back to what you just mentioned, that emotional transition of moving into retirement can be very difficult for some people. You know, you've been going to a, a job all your life. A lot of your social connections are, are tied around the job. So it's it can be a really, really tough transition to move into that retirement phase. So I think, you know, going back to that, you know, you're, you're 50, 55, starting really to plan then of what retirement's going to look like. Because you know, we're kind of sold this idea of sitting on the beach in an Adirondack chair. You got a little, little, you know, sipping out of a straw, drinking, drinking a drink iced there, tea. and iced, iced tea, tea. iced tea, of course. Yeah. Uh, but you know, in reality, that may get old after a little while. You know, starting to think about what are some things I can do in retirement. Whether it's I'm going to work part time, I'm going to consult, I'm going to volunteer, I'm going to maybe even start that business I always dreamed about doing. I think starting early, you know, before you get right there at retirement's door to start to think about what am I going to do all day? Because, I mean, A, sometimes just doing all that fun stuff, we'll get a little old playing golf every day. I mean, we've all heard people, they thought that was going to be fun, and then it becomes a chore. It's like, I'll go play golf again. Exactly. Uh, but really thinking about that, because also that can get very expensive. If, if you know, I, I don't know about you, but I spend a lot more money on vacation than I do in a normal day. So doing that every day is going to be pricey, number one. And part two, it, it can get a little old to some people. So really thinking about, hey, who am I going to be? You know, how am I going to get my social interactions? What am I going to do to make myself, uh, you know, just I think uh, I heard somebody put it this way. You need you need enough drive to, to get up in the morning and enough money to sleep well at night. So having that balance in there somewhere is a good thing. All right. You said that. I mean, the, you talked about the trips, the, the, the thought process, having a plan. What about the estate plan at this point? Tommy, does that ever come across as something when you, we were talking about an estate plan, making sure that you put some arrangements together? That's all part of a retirement plan. Am I not correct on that? Well, uh, we're we're talking about best practice behaviors here and the purpose of an estate plan is to tell your assets what to do should you be gone and that's applicable to anyone of any age but as you are wrapping up your accumulation into retirement and your transition into a retirement lifestyle you need you need to let other people around you know where your accumulations and priorities and behavioral uh, behavior, things that are important to you behaviorally, you got to use the estate plan to tell that stuff where to go. All right. Now, that's where you sit down with the attorney. I mean, I guess, I guess I'm thinking through this, and Justin, you, you, I want you to give me this insight. If I've all of a sudden finally got to the stages of retirement where I'm on the beach, as Scott was saying, sipping iced tea and thinking that, you know, this is pretty good, but I know I've got to go back to the house and do, all right, I've got some planning to do. 
We've talked about health care planning. We talked about all that process of it. But as long as I'm going through and I'm healthy and I'm high functioning, I'm doing okay. Mm-hmm. What about when I begin to see one of us, my spouse or me, Linda or me, and I'm all of a sudden realizing that that's not all working. There are issues. What are some of the planning things that I need to be thinking about? And that's kind of that mid-retirement phase. Right. Um, I mean, we already talked about the estate plan. Obviously, if you don't have one of those already, that's... <laughs> It's time. It's critical now. Uh, But beyond that, it's it's time to start talking to your family because as your health starts declining, generally in these days, it doesn't happen overnight anymore. It a lot of times your ability to make competent decisions, care for yourself or just get around the house will slowly decline over years. And it's going to take courage and insight to have conversation with your family about when to relinquish control of your own life. That's a tough, tough, tough conversation. Yes. I mean, you just kind of hit me right between the eyes on that. I mean, the thought process of having to, you know, you've been in charge and you've been running and all of a sudden I got to sit down with my two daughters and my son-in-laws and talk about, um, okay, guys, uh, the conversation now is who you're going to, I'm going to transfer my whole life to you guys. Okay. Then the program next. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's a tough conversation. I mean, you know, there's no way around that. All right. But just as any other challenging issue that doesn't need to be procrastinated about, dealing with the facts while we're all in good shape with good advisors to to lay out to lay out what it's gonna look like is supposed to bring some peace of mind to not having that black hole of uncertainty looking out over your shoulder. So so, it's a, so you so in estate planning you've got what happens at the end, but estate planning also has a component of what's going to happen as we get there, even if some of that's unpleasant. So we're talking about the proponent of sitting down with the family members and beginning to have that discussion. But now Scott, we don't always do that. We we kind of let them make that decision to do that. Well, I think that's I, I I think that's part of the value we bring to the table is help them think through this estate planning and when to bring the family in, when to bring the children in. Uh you know, there's a balance between what they what they absolutely need to know right now and what they maybe don't necessarily need to know right now. So, we help a lot of people think through that process and and you know, we hold a lot of family meetings where we get the whole family in and talk through everything so that they know you know, where mom and dad stand on everything and what the plan is should something happen. But Tommy hit the nail on the head. I mean, starting that early and at least having, you know, a plan in place to address that because sometimes it gets too late and that makes the process a lot more difficult when you don't have things like powers of attorney in place and things that can be helpful. All right, Justin, you've done a great job of bringing your insight. These two guys have helped us with this. Now we're down to you've had that tough conversation. You've had it before it's such a mandatory problem where you've got some issues. Now we're at the last phase, the late retirement. You know, there's 10 years maybe left in a person's life, five years. Where are we at that point? What should be happening? And so in general, what you're describing is the last phase where your health has declined significantly enough that there's little hope of it being restored. Um, You're going to require significant help to function every day. You might be in a nursing home, like we talked about long-term care. Um, And the hope is that all the actions and planning you've taken for your entire life up to this point, it will make the transition as comfortable and life-affirming as possible. 
So you, you've t- taken us from beginning where you're thinking about planning mm-hmm. and you're doing a small amount into your 401k as a 30, 35-year-old. Your competition's the 60-inch TV. i got to come up with something different there. Yeah. That's, that's not going to work anymore. But you've moved us all the way to the point now where you may be in a nursing home and you may not, your cognitive awareness just may not be, uh, your cognitive ability is struggling. So you've walked all the way through that. Scott, what's the essence of this? What's the whole problem? Planning. That's it, isn't it? That's it. That's it. Uh, you know, planning gives you, I think, you know, talking about the 60-inch TV, when you when you have a plan, you have goals, and you can start to assign where each of your dollars coming in or going, that, that gets you moving in the right direction to hit your goals. And without that clear plan, I always say the immediate can tend to crowd out the ultimate. In other words, what you immediately want, we'll use your 60-inch TV. I think it's probably an 80-inch okay, now. But all right. What you immediately want <laughs> can it. crowd out what you ultimately want for your life. And I think sitting down, having a written plan with goals, now you're going to have to change that. It's not static. You, you're constantly updating. Life throws surprises at you. But having that goes a long way. Goes a long way. Yep. And, Justin, you're talking to the 35-year-old. you got 30 seconds. What do you tell them at 35? That planning is absolutely vital for their uh, for their future because I see too many thirty five year olds that are not planning and just wandering around with their money and if they do that they're not going to make it to retirement and they're not going to be in a good position to take care of their families. So the bottom line is you both all three of you are saying planning from a tax planning standpoint. We're talking about planning. You're talking about planning at that late part, and you're saying the thirty five year olds got to do the same thing. One hundred percent. Guys, that's a, kind of a closing statement there. Do some planning. Don't procrastinate. That's the bottom line. Make sure that you're thinking about this stuff is very, very important. Family members appreciate it, and that's critical. Thanks, guys, for being a part of today's Absolutely. program. Absolutely. Thank Thanks you. for having us. Well, you've been listening to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. My guests, Tommy Armstrong, Scott Jordan, and Justin Wright. If you have additional questions for Tommy Scott or Justin, or you would just like to talk to them personally, call them at 757-5757. We hope that you've enjoyed today's program. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you have questions for Talk Money, send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. To find today's program, podcast, or past programs, go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial, and be sure to like us on Facebook. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Thank you for listening. We're here every Wednesday helping you make the most of your money. Thank you for doing that. This is Talk Money. Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. Separate from the financial plan and our role as financial planner, we may recommend the purchase of specific investment or insurance products or accounts. These product recommendations are not part of the financial plan, and you are under no obligation to follow them. Jim Shoemaker, Tommy Armstrong, Scott Jordan, and Justin Wright are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Dollar bills, y'all. Come on now.